We are in the third week of our series that we've entitled Blessed, and we're spending a few weeks looking at a few of the Beatitudes that are found in Matthew chapter 5. You can go ahead and go there, Matthew chapter 5. Now in week 1, we looked at blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then last week we looked at blessed are the meek, and if you missed those, you can find a link to them on our website, gatheringatl.com. Today I want us to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Matthew 5, verse 7. Last week, I mentioned that I attended Asbury University, and that I mentioned how there is a, a, a revival that is breaking out there this week, and pray for that revival. It's still going. It's been going on for over a week now. Uh, uh, there are miraculous healings happening. People are coming from all over the country, even out, outside of the country, to come there and to, be, and to experience what the Holy Spirit is doing in that tiny little town of Wilmore, Kentucky. But it all started out of a chapel service. I think I mentioned this, that, that at Asbury, if you're a student, you have to go to chapel three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 10 a.m. I think it's 10 a.m. And uh, because I was not a very good Christian when I was at Asbury, I did not enjoy going to chapel, mainly because over uh, up on the stage at the top, uh, pipe organ said, holiness unto the Lord. And I did not like that reminder every other day in my life that I needed to live a holy life. And so I didn't enjoy going to chapel. And so I would sit there in chapel, and I would just kind of criticize whoever was speaking. They would fly people in, either via, it would be a professor, or they'd fly someone in who would speak at chapel. And I would just sit there, and I would just uh, criticize, not just the speakers, but everything I saw, but especially the speakers. I would just sit there and think, they're just not very good, right? No matter who they were, I would sit there and make critical comments to myself. I was just a, an arrogant jerk back then. Not anymore, but back then. I just knew I knew more than anyone. I knew how to do public speaking, or so I thought. And these people could never hold a candle to me. I was a horrible person, all right? But then a funny thing happened. God called me to preach when I was a kid. And when I was 30, I answered that call. And as soon as I accepted the call to preach, I was appointed to a small church in North Georgia. And everything was fine. I was excited to go until I realized I had to write a sermon. It turns out that when you're the preacher, people expect you to preach. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had never written a real sermon in my life. And so I did what any smart kid would do whose dad's a preacher. I called my dad. And, and I, I had to admit to my dad, Dad, I'm clueless. I have no idea what I'm doing. And my dad offered his, his amazing advice. You'll figure it out. That's what he told me. You'll figure it out. That's not what I wanted. I wanted him to write the sermon for me. But he said, no, you'll figure it out. It's not exactly helpful, but he was right. I had to figure it out. And so today, I am much nicer to other preachers. Even if I don't think they're great communicators, I have a bit more mercy for them because I know just how hard it is to write a sermon week in and week out. I mean, essentially, preachers have to write a term paper every single week. Now, some weeks, it is a breeze, right? It's like God just kind of downloads the sermon for you already completed. 
But other weeks, it's like walking through the desert looking for a small glass of water while being blindfolded, right? You just can't find it. You can't get it out, and it just fights you. But see, when you know how difficult something is, you tend to be a bit nicer to others who are attempting it. That's the idea behind our beatitude for today. Look at it with me. Matthew 5, 7. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When you look at the Beatitudes, the first three describe the emptiness of the blessed person, right? Matthew 5, 3 tells us that we should be poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 4 tells us that we should grieve over the sin in our lives. Matthew 5, 5 tells us to be meek. But then in verse 6, we're told to hunger and thirst for righteousness, all right? But then we're shown what should be pouring out of the heart of the person who has applied the first Beatitudes in their life, right? If we are hungry for righteousness, then we are people of mercy, people of purity, people of peace. Are you following me? Verses 7 through 9 are the byproduct of a heart that has been made empty and then filled with the Holy Spirit. See, mercy comes from understanding our own spiritual bankruptcy. When we understand our own brokenness, then we are more merciful to those dwelling with their or dealing with their own brokenness. But what is mercy? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to make sure we all leave here and understand exactly what mercy is. And so flip over to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Matthew chapter 9. And look in verse 10. It says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hear what Jesus said there. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, we spend a lot of time in church talking about sacrifice, right? We spend a lot of time talking about how we are to sacrifice our lives to Jesus. And yet here is Jesus saying that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. So what does he mean by that? interesting. Here in verse 13, Jesus seems to be saying that the opposite of mercy is sacrifice. Now, he's actually quoting Hosea 6.6. In the 6th chapter, it's not up there, but in the 6th chapter of Hosea, God accused the people that their love was like the dew of the grass, right? Dew is only on the grass for a brief period of time, and then it's gone. And so in the same way that people would make sacrifices to God, but that's all, right? There was no life change. They were just performing a, a ritual. See, in all things, Jesus looks at our heart. He is always more concerned with, with what is in our hearts than he is what we are doing. This is something the Pharisees couldn't understand. See, for Jesus, who was a Jew, 
to eat with sinners and tax collectors meant that he would be made unclean. And the Pharisees knew that they were supposed to avoid anything that would make them unclean. And so their religion got in the way of loving the lost. For them, their religion was a list of, of rules that they were supposed to follow. And if they followed all of the rules perfectly, then they were going to be the bestest Jews in all the land. But while they were striving to obey every single rule in the books, people were dying lost in their sins. For the Pharisees, their religion held them in bondage instead of setting them free to love like Jesus loved and to show mercy like Jesus showed mercy. There's another example in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, starting in verse 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. In this passage, we have another opposite of mercy. In this case, it's the straining out of gnats. It's funny. Whenever I preach on giving and, uh, and I, I talk about tithing, at least one person will ask me, now, uh, is that 10% of my gross pay or 10% of my net pay, right? If you don't know what tithing is, that's the Lord's uh, uh, command to give 10% of everything we have to him, all right? And so people ask, is that out of gross or out of net? Right? And they will really wrestle with this, right? Should I give 10% out of my gross or my net? And I've just heard people argue about this. I've heard pastors argue about this. That it should be gross. It should be net. No, it doesn't matter. I always tell people that is between you and the Lord. What matters is that you give 10%. Whether it's from your gross or your net is not really the important part. But see, some people just can't move on from this. There are committees in churches who get in fights over what color they should paint the bathroom, right? There are people in churches all over who appear to care more about keeping the 60-year-old carpet because their daddy put it in rather than doing something new in order to reach the lost. You see, straining that means focusing on things that are not important. It does not matter to me if a church has green carpet or wood floors. It doesn't matter to me if a church has modern worship or traditional worship. It doesn't matter to me if, you're, if, if, if the preacher is loud and boisterous, obviously, or if the preacher is soft-spoken and more of a teacher. All that matters is, are you reaching the lost? See, we cannot show mercy if we are only focused on the things that don't really matter. But I think we sometimes choose the trivial things because it's a lot easier than actually doing what Jesus calls us to do. See, I've been around church long enough to know people are very good at convincing themselves that trivial things are not trivial at all. It's easier to figure out what color to paint the bathroom than it is to figure out ways to reach the lost. And so we get into the weeds. We focus so much on the rules that we miss grace and mercy. One pastor put it this way. If you want to be blessed, 
you must make war against the bondage of religious and secular trifles and devote your life to the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. There's a very big difference between being religious and being a faithful follower of Jesus. Churches are full of religious people. But imagine if churches were full of faithful followers of Jesus. Now, this is not a new problem. This is a problem that's, that, that's been around forever. Jesus was dealing with it with, with the Pharisees, right? In the 10th chapter of Luke, Jesus tells one of the most famous parables that he ever told. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but you can find it in Luke chapter 10. But maybe you remember the story, right? The story is that a Jewish man was walking down the road, and he was, he was uh, robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And then a priest walked up to the man and immediately passed to the other side to pass him because if he got near him, he'd become unclean. He couldn't touch him. And then a Levite, who was someone who worked in the synagogue, he came upon the man and did the same thing. He passed to the other side and passed him. But then a Samaritan, right, the sworn enemy of every Jew, saw the man and chose to help him. But look at this part of the story with me, starting in verse 33 in Luke 10. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his, uh, on his own donkey, brought him, in, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, Jesus told this story in response to an expert in the law asking who his neighbor was. See, this expert, he knew the law. He knew that the law said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, Right? With all your soul and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. The problem was the man had no idea who his neighbor was. So right up to that point, it's probably true to say this man would have only seen his fellow Jew as his neighbor. And so Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan in order to teach this man and to teach us exactly what mercy looks like. So this is not original to me, but I want to show you four dimensions of mercy. As shown in the, good, the story of the Good, uh, good Samaritans. Good Samaritan. First one is this. Go to that. Mercy sees distress. Mercy sees distress. Second one is this. Mercy responds internally with a heart of compassion toward a person in distress. And then third, mercy responds externally with a practical effort to relieve the stress. And then fourth. Mercy acts even when the person in distress is an enemy. See, mercy has an eye for distress, a heart of pity, and it makes an effort to help, and it does not care who it's helping. So now we have to examine ourselves, right? Do we have eyes to see? In verse 33, it says, A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him. See, in, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is making the same point that he made in Matthew 9. In Matthew 9, Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus ends the story with, go and show mercy like the Samaritan, not like the priest or the Levite. 
The priests and the Levite are the perfect examples of people who have made their religion more important than living out the commandments of their religion. The priests and the Levite were blinded by their religiosity. Now we need to understand something. Jesus made up the story of the Good Samaritan. It's not a real story. It's not a real story. So he could have used any characters that he wanted to use. And yet it was the priest and the Levite that Jesus chose to use as almost like the villains in the story. Do you think it's possible to be so focused on your religion that you actually become an enemy of God's kingdom? Let that question sink in. Do you think it's possible to be so focused on your religion that you actually become an enemy of God's kingdom? There is a very real possibility. There are countless people in hell today because the only Christians that they knew were the ones who only cared about the carpet color. Or Christians that refused to actually see the need that was all around them. Right? It was a Samaritan who had the eyes to see. It was the person who the Jews hated who actually did the thing that Jesus, uh, that, they, that the Jews should have been doing. Now let's not kid ourselves. There are plenty of secular groups in the world that do a better job of loving people than the church. There are plenty of secular groups who are more than happy to, to head into the dirty places in the world to help people. And then there are churches that practice we show mercy to those who show up on Sunday. Church, we cannot see the hurting world if we have locked ourselves up in the church. Do you have eyes to see? And if we do see, do we respond with compassion? Do we respond with a practical way to relieve the distress? Do we, have, do we act to help when we don't like the person in trouble? These are not rhetorical questions, church. This is who we are called to be. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. See, there's this, there's this tension between mercy and justice. Right? There's this tension between mercy and justice. We, we are people who demand justice, don't we? When someone does something they shouldn't, shouldn't they be punished? I mean, after all, isn't God a God of justice? Shouldn't people get exactly what they deserve? Well, that's one side. But then there's the other side, right? Which is mercy above all else. Right? There is no justice. It's all mercy and puppy dogs and rainbows. But church, we've got to understand, our God is a God of justice and mercy. And it's that and which gets a lot of us. See, some of you are justice people. People should get what they sow, no matter what. You wrong me, well, I hope the worst things happen to you, right? We want justice. And some of you are mercy people. Everything anyone does should be forgiven without any punishment. But we are called, church, to be both and people. People who believe in justice and mercy. 
I think being a parent helps with this, right? There are times when a child needs a good spanking, amen? Right? Oh, come on, parents. Amen. You know it to be true. You don't spank them. You want to. I should say every parent. I, I've met parents who can't bring themselves to punish their child in any way. That is not my house. But there are parents who just cannot, cannot show anything but mercy, right? Let me be clear about, about this. A child raised in a home where only justice was possible will not be able to grow up to know mercy. And a child raised in a home where only mercy was possible will never understand why some people have a problem with anything they do, right? Jesus understood the balance. Jesus practiced the balance between justice and mercy. So in the time we have left, I want to give you seven ways to know when you should dole out justice and when you should dole out mercy. All right, seven ways to know when you should dole out justice and seven ways to know when you should dole out I'm kidding. I don't have seven points. I wish I did. I wish it was that easy, right? I wish I could just give you seven very clear ways to know when you should show justice and when you should show mercy. Unfortunately, I don't. I can't, I can't come up with anything. See, the reality is, all the Beatitude says is, blessed are the merciful. That's it. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who know exactly when and how to show mercy. I don't think Jesus simply forgot to tell us how to, to know when to show mercy. See, I think Jesus' overall goal was to point out the fruit of a life dedicated to him. And really, that is the only answer I can give you to the question. How do I know when to show mercy? The only answer I can give you is be like Jesus. See, the closer we are to Jesus, easier it is to know what Jesus wants us to do in any given situation. There will be times in your life when justice is the correct answer. But here's the interesting thing for the Christian. For the Christian, there should be mercy in our justice. There are times when justice must be given. But we are called to remain merciful people even in the act of doling out justice. See, justice is not automatically a lack of mercy, right? Pastor Liam and I, we have to punish our children from time to time, but we never lose our mercy for our children. We never enjoy punishing our children. That's true. We never enjoy punishing our children. That's because we have mercy for our children. But sometimes kids just need to be punished. Like the other Beatitudes, Jesus tells us what to expect if we live the life to which we are called. So look back at Matthew 5, 7, where he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, we are merciful because we are uh, we, have, we, have, we are called to be merciful, right? We are merciful because we are called to be merciful. But our mercy does not go un, uh, unrewarded. Jesus said, if we show mercy, then mercy will be shown to us. Maybe not by other people, but by our Heavenly Father. When the day comes that we, that we leave our earthly bodies and, and stand before our Creator, those who were merciful will receive mercy. 
Now, let's be very clear. Because the danger is to see this as a transactional relationship, right? That is, if we show mercy, then we earn mercy. But mercy cannot be earned, church. If mercy could be earned, it wouldn't be mercy. Therefore, when we get to heaven and God asks us a record of, of, our, of our mercy, he isn't looking for you to give him a scorecard, right? You can't stand in front of him and say, well, on December 5th, 2023, I showed mercy to my kids and I didn't lock them out of the house. Oh, and on May 2nd, 1999, I showed mercy to the guy who cut me off in traffic. Now, where's my reward? Give me what's coming to me, God. Church, it's not going to be like that. I'm sorry. God is going to be looking at your heart. And you need to hear this. Our actions do not matter if our hearts are not right with God. The actions that will please God are actions born out of a surrendered heart. While we may fool the world into thinking we are merciful people, we cannot fool God. We cannot hope to receive mercy from God if we do not show others mercy. And most people think they deserve mercy no matter what, right? Most of us, no matter what we've done, we think, hey, we deserve mercy. See, Jesus could not be any clearer. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We will not be shown mercy if we do not show mercy. Hear that, church? We will not be shown mercy if we do not show mercy. See, the world does not need any more Christians who are more worried about the carpet than they are the laws. And why did Jesus eat with the sinners? Because he was willing to do anything short of sinning in order to reach and save the lost. And that only happens if we're merciful people. The merciful person will do anything, absolutely anything short of sinning, to show love to the lost and the hurt. What does merciful look like in your life? What does merciful look like in your life today? For some of you, maybe it's, it's forgiving someone. Right? They messed up. They, they ticked you off. No one's doubting that. Right? And sure, you could rub their nose in it. You could make them feel really bad about it. You could make sure everyone knew what they did to you. Or you could have mercy and you can forgive. This isn't an invitation to be a doormat for someone. But are you willing to forgive who Jesus tells you to forgive? So do you need to forgive today? Or maybe you need to take action today. Maybe you have seen the hurting around you. Maybe you've seen the needy. Maybe you've seen the lost. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? Now, hear me, you don't know, have to know exactly what to do, but are you willing to begin looking for ways to show mercy? That's why we're collecting winter clothes here at the church. Two people in our church saw the need. They had mercy on the men and women and children they saw who were struggling to keep warm this winter. They saw and they had compassion. But they didn't stop there. They chose to act. They responded externally by coming up with a practical way to minister to those who were without. They decided to get as many warm clothes as possible to hand out to those in need. 
right? They don't know these people. They may never even know their names, but that's not what matters. God put people in front of these two people, and praise God, these two chose to pour out mercy. So the question remains, what about you? What are you being called, or where are you being called to show mercy? Maybe it's with your kids. I mean, sure, they deserve to be punished, but are you being called to pour out mercy instead? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friend at work or a friend at school. Maybe it's a stranger. If we open our eyes, we will see the need for mercy all around us, church. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe we don't want to open our eyes. Sometimes it's easier just to stay looking down. Because if we see the need, then we know we're going to be responsible to meet that need. And so it's just easier to just not see the need. That is an option for you. Definitely an option. I mean, not for Jesus, a Jesus follower, but for other people it's an option. The Jesus follower is called to do something. There's an old worship song called Open the Eyes of My Heart. Some of you probably know it. It goes, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. Imagine if we went through life seeing Jesus everywhere we went. Would we be merciful people then? I want to read a passage from Matthew 25 and I wrap up. It's a long passage, but it's vital that we, that we understand it if we want to be merciful people. It's Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Jesus says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are, the, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed, enter the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. And you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of these, of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous turn to eternal life. So often, we want to water down the words of Jesus. However, we do that at our own expense. Because Jesus is very clear here. There are two groups. Now, he called them sheep and goats. We can call them the merciful 
and the lovers of self. The righteous are the merciful ones. The merciful ones are the ones who see the hungry and feed them. The merciful ones are the ones who see the thirsty and gives them something to drink. The merciful ones are the ones who, who sees the stranger and invites them into their lives. The merciful are the ones who see the naked and clothes them. The merciful one is the one who sees the sick and the imprisoned and visits them. But then there's this other group, the one who see but do nothing. While the first group is enjoying God, repaying their mercy with mercy, the, the, and the first group uh, gains eternal life, the other group will go away to eternal punishment. I don't know how to water down something so stark. Jesus says there's two groups, the merciful and then that other group. Do we see and do something? Or do we just see? Or do we not even see? The question, and this is a very serious question, the question is do you want to see? Do you do you want to see the people around you who need you to show them mercy? Don't answer lightly, all right? Because once you see, you cannot unsee. Once you see, you have a responsibility to respond. Do you want to see? Do you want to be a person of mercy? Or do you already know? where you need to show mercy in your life. Here's the question for you. Where are you called to show mercy? Where are you called to show mercy? That's the question I want you to ask yourself today. I want you to ask Jesus today. Jesus, where am I called to show mercy today? Where are you called to show mercy, church? When he tells you, there's a second question Okay, how am I to show mercy? Lord, where am I to show mercy? And how am I to show mercy? Now, the Holy Spirit might just pop the answer to those questions in your head if he does, praise God. Or the Holy Spirit will use others and your conversations with them to show you where and how you should show mercy. And so listen to the people you talk to. Watch and then obey. So think of one person today. You know need someone to show them mercy. Name them. Even if you don't know their name, you can say that guy that I always see at Starbucks. Or that guy I pass on the road on my way to work who's begging for money. Who do you know needs mercy? Who have you seen? Because here's the scary part. You might be the only person to ever see them. don't have anyone today, will you just ask the Lord today, Lord, help me be a merciful person this week. Help me be a person of mercy this week. And then be on the lookout for those opportunities this week where you can show mercy.
Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you praise. You are a merciful God. Lord, we do not deserve your mercy. We don't deserve any of it. And yet you've shown it to us all. So Lord, help us to want to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to want to be merciful people. Lord, some of us in this room really love justice. We really like people to be punished for what they did. And sometimes they need to. But Lord, help us to also have mercy. That even though they may be punished, we can walk beside them through that punishment. We can still love on them. We can still visit them. We can still call them. Help us show mercy. This week, Lord, let us pray for our eyes to be open. As we drive around our, our, our community, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go to our hobbies, as we go to play our sports, let us look for opportunities to be merciful, whether it's in the office, in school, on the lacrosse field, wherever it is, let us show mercy. Open our eyes, Lord, to the need all around us. We want to see you, Lord, so that we can serve you by serving others. Pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.